morning, everyone. This is Misty Maris, and this is The Legal Brief. We are in verdict watch in the trial of Greg McMichael, Travis McMichael, and William Roddy Bryant. This is death, uh, day two of jury deliberations. Now, the jury began deliberating yesterday. In the jury deliberations, they were in the jury room for about six hours. They had no questions for the judge. Uh, they had they did not want to review any evidence yesterday. Later in the evening, there was uh, the judge called the jury back into the courtroom and said it was his practice to ask the foreperson if a verdict was imminent. Now, this was after about six hours of deliberation. The foreperson said, we are in the process of working to reach a verdict. And then the judge said, if you're not close, we'll break for the night. She said, I think breaking would be the best option. But then that pivoted and the foreperson said that they actually wish to continue deliberations last night. Now, ultimately, the jury did go home last night. They did not continue deliberations for a significant period of time. Just a side note on that practice, that's unusual. Usually the judge does not question whether or not a verdict is imminent or give any indication that the jury should be concluded with their uh, deliberations in any period of time. The judge is more of a referee. He doesn't really, he or she does not have any uh, say in how long a jury can deliberate. So that's part one. So that was an unusual practice, but uh, the, the defense actually made a request to the court that the judge not ask about an imminent verdict at any other time during the day today. The judge said he wouldn't until it got later into the afternoon. Uh, to the afternoon or evening, at which point he may allow the jury to break for the day and come back uh, at, an, on another, at another time. So what does all of this mean? Well, everybody thought yesterday that the jury was probably close to coming to a conclusion because they said they wanted to work into the evening and the judge had asked if a decision was imminent. But it looks like that was not the case. So this morning, Court just reconvened uh, around 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, and the jury came back and asked to see certain evidence again. Now, what did they ask to see? They asked to see two versions of a video that Roddy Bryant took in this case. So this is the critical video. This is the star witness. This is the video that shows the interaction between Travis McMichael and Ahmad Arbery, it shows the two and what happened between the time Travis McMichael got out of his truck and he and Ahmad Arbery were engaged in what the McMichaels say was a struggle. Ahmad Arbery was reaching for the gun. The prosecution said Ahmad Arbery was just trying to deflect the gun, which was being pointed at him by Travis McMichael. But there is in the video very clearly some struggle struggle between the two of them, how it's characterized, whether or not it's deflection versus reaching for the gun uh, depends on that will be a question for the jury. But that is the piece of evidence that the jury wanted to see. The jury also wanted to hear Greg McMichael's 911 call from that day, which occurred 
very shortly before the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. In the 911 call, Greg McMichael calls 911 and says, there's a black man running down the street. Now, the call then goes to silence because this interaction between Travis McMichael and Ahmaud Arbery continues to ensue. So Greg McMichael ultimately doesn't have any further conversation with the 911 operator, does not provide any additional information. That's the only part of the call that was played for the jury this morning. What does that mean? Well, again, we we all got it wrong yesterday when we predicted that a verdict was imminent. So it's difficult to tell what the jury is thinking about. But it could mean that the jury is at the point where they're talking about the self-defense component of the case, because that video directly relates to that aspect of the defense. So... The defense says that Travis McMichael was under an imminent threat of grave bodily injury or death when he engaged in that struggle with Ahmad Arbery and that the use of force, i.e. shooting Ahmad Arbery, was reasonable under the circumstances because of that imminent threat. The prosecution, of course, has a very different case. They say that the McMichaels were the initial aggressor. If they're the initial aggressor and they provoked an attack upon themselves, then they cannot use the defense of self-defense. How do we get to a decision on initial aggressor? Well, that all falls under the purview of the citizen's arrest law. So the McMichaels first have to show they were engaged in a lawful citizen's arrest before you can even get to the self-defense component. And let me explain why. Because the McMichaels pursued Ahmad Arbery in their truck. They had a gun, uh, both of them, actually. Both Travis and Greg McMichael had guns. So if... If they are the initial aggressor, meaning that they engaged in this pursuit of Ahmad Arbery unlawfully, then they would be the person or people that provoked an attack and they would lose the right to self-defense. If they were engaged in a lawful citizen's arrest, well, then they're not pursuing him unlawfully uh, as per the statute. And Then we get to the analysis as to whether the self-defense is applicable, whether there was an imminent threat and whether the force used was actually reasonable. So the fact that the jury wanted to see this video and they wanted to watch it three times, two versions of the video. One is the cell phone version. The other was high contrast version. Both were showed during the trial. The fact that the jury wanted to see that again signals and and look i don't know because of course we can only speculate with juries but it signals that perhaps they've gotten past the piece about citizens arrest and now they're deciding on the self defense component um i thought that this the citizens arrest was a harder case for the defense but if the jury has in fact concluded that there was a lawful citizens arrest and now they're analyzing self defense Well, the defense wants to hear that. The defense attorneys and the defendants want to hear that because that means the jury is really considering whether or not the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery was justified under the law. In general, as uh, as we've discussed in the past, the the jury coming back real quick after the close of a trial is usually not good for the defense. 
So just to take a step back. So all of that is what's happening in the court today. We're keeping our eye on the courtroom. We're on verdict watch right now. Who knows what's going to happen, whether or not a verdict will be returned today. We are only waiting to see what happens next again. Got it wrong yesterday. Thought that it was probably imminent, but it is clearly not imminent. The jury has now asked to see additional evidence. But what does that mean? So During the course of jury deliberations, the jury has the opportunity to review any evidence that was presented at trial. That can be testimony. That can be videos. That can be photographs. That can be phone calls. That could be anything that came into evidence during the trial. And usually the jury is doing this so that they can remind themselves of what was actually said, what the video actually showed, and apply that to the law. So keep in mind, in this particular trial, and the law differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, the jury was charged on the law, and by charged on the law, that means the judge read the law to the jury and provided the jury with written copies of the law after the entire case was done. So it happened after the closing arguments of the prosecution and the defense. So while the prosecution and the defense attorneys all brought up aspects of the law in their closing arguments and tried to apply it to the facts of the case and the evidence that came into the the court, the jury's first time reviewing the evidence in conjunction with the law is actually when they step into that jury room. So the jurors are instructed to rely on their memory of the evidence that was presented. But the jury also has the opportunity to refresh their memory by rewatching or listening to uh, video phone calls, 911 tapes, whatever it may be, or having readbacks. Uh, of witness testimony during the course of the trial. So as legal analysts who uh, and and as attorneys who are trial attorneys, listening to the jury questions is the best way to get an indication of what the sticking points for the jury are. What are they thinking about? What are they grappling with? And look, watching a video could be because the jury is is making a determination as i said in this particular case my inclination is that it means they're really analyzing the self defense component of the case and maybe they are on board with the citizens arrest argument again i don't know but that's what these questions are telling me and the evidence that they want to see is telling me but it could also be as simple as one of the jurors wanted to watch it again It doesn't have to be so all or nothing. All of these jurors are individual people with individual perspectives. That's what makes up our jury system in the United States. So it could be very simple. It could be uh, something more. And it, it could be indicative of where the case is going and when we're going to hear Uh, a verdict, whether or not there is consensus, we don't know. Sometimes uh, there's one juror who feels differently than the others. We don't know what's going on in that jury room. All we know is that the jurors have asked to see the star witness in this case, which is the video, the video taken by William Roddy Bryant, who's also a defendant. Uh, In covering this case, there's been some questions, and, and I want to answer some of the top questions that I've been hearing so there, the the indictment is a nine count indictment, and it's malice murder, four counts of felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, one count of false imprisonment, and one count of criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. These are all felony serious charges. 
for the malice murder and the felony murder counts, it is a it's a lifetime sentence in prison. And then it's up to the judge whether or not to grant parole. So it could be a mandatory life sentence, no parole. It could be a life sentence with the opportunity for parole with a minimum of 30 years served. So the stakes are very high. The penalties are very, very serious in this case. So what's the difference between malice murder and felony murder? Well, that depends on the state that you're in. So let's talk about Georgia. Georgia is a little different than other states. When you think about watching Law & Order, you hear murder one, murder two. Think about watching other uh, crime dramas. A lot of times murders are classified by degrees. That's different in Georgia. Georgia doesn't have degrees of murder. Instead, they have malice murder and felony murder. Now, neither requires the prosecutors to prove an intent to kill. Malice murder is defined as a person unlawfully and with with malice aforethought, either expressed or implied, causes the death of another human being. Now, express malice, that's intent to kill. That one's a little bit easier to define. That means I intended to kill this person. Easy. Much easier as far as the legal definition. Implied malice, well, that's a little bit different. Implied malice means that there is no considerable provocation and the circumstances of the killing show an abandoned and malignant heart. What does that mean? Well, it's a difficult term to define, but in general, what it means, uh, to, to break it down to its simplest part, that a person acted with extreme recklessness, even if there was no intent to kill. And again, keep in mind that statute, that implied malice has that pivotal word, the most important word in this case with respect to the self-defense argument, provocation. Who provoked the attack against the other? Who was the initial aggressor? So that's a very important point for this case. Keep in mind that neither standard intent to kill or implied malice, express or implied malice requires premeditation. So you don't have to show as a prosecutor that the everybody's been planning this for days, weeks, hours, even minutes. It does not require premeditation. And intent can be formed in an instant. That's the law. You don't have to have this, you know, long planned out uh scheme to commit a murder in order to be found guilty. So premeditation is not a factor. Another interesting question that I've been getting, does the prosecution have to show motive? The answer is no. Prosecutors don't have to show motive. They might suggest motive to the jury. They may present evidence that would speak to motive, but they are not required to show motive in order to get a conviction on a murder charge, uh, and that is malice murder in Georgia. So what is felony murder? Felony murder is different than malice murder. Felony murder applies when someone who has no plan or intent or no, no, uh, no, no idea that, they're, that somebody's going to die that day, no intent to kill, no plan to kill, but they intentionally commit a felony and a person dies as a result of that felony. So in order for felony murder to apply, a person must be convicted of an underlying felony to be found guilty of felony murder. The most basic law school example, this is what you'll learn in your Crim Law 101 class, is that you 
you go to a uh, a convenience store and you plan on robbing the store. You never intend to kill anybody, but somebody dies as a result of that robbery. So here in this case, the underlying felony that the prosecution is trying to prove is assault with a deadly weapon. The assault with a deadly weapon speaks to both the use of a pickup truck, which can be considered a deadly weapon under the law, so long as it is used in a way that it could cause grave injury or death. The second is the use of the uh, a gun. So the rifle in this case that Travis McMichael ultimately shot Ahmad Arbery with is also the basis for assault with a deadly weapon, which is an underlying felony. In addition to that, there's also a felony charge of false imprisonment, which essentially means to keep somebody captive against their will. So the argument by the prosecution is that the McMichaels and Roddy Bryant trapped Ahmad Arbery with their vehicles, which resulted in a false imprisonment. It also speaks to the next piece, because keep in mind, the McMichaels have said, this is their case, that they were engaged in a citizen's arrest. Well, false imprisonment can mean that they engaged in a citizen's arrest and they thought they were engaging in a citizen's arrest, but it was unlawful. And as a result, Ahmad Arbery was unlawfully detained. So that serves as the basis for false imprisonment. If the McMichaels or Roddy Bryant are are convicted on one of the felony charges, then they would it's a it's it is a felony murder because during the course of a felony, so long as it can be causally connected. What do I mean by causally connected, meaning the felony caused the death? So those are the two murder. uh, Those are the two murder charges. So the prosecution is saying that the three men in this case. Greg McMichael, Travis McMichael, Travis McMichael being the shooter and Roddy Bryan demonstrated malice aforethought for the purpose of the, the malice murder charge when they illegally chased Arbery and. They did so in these pickup trucks and ultimately shot him. That's the basis for the malice murder charge. They're also presenting an alternative set of facts where the three men intentionally committed four felonies, two counts of aggravated assault, one count each of false imprisonment and criminal attempt to commit false imprisonment. And one or all of those felonies ultimately resulted in Arbery's death. So the McMichaels and Brian could each be convicted of multiple counts of of murder. What does that mean ultimately? Well, the sentences are the same for both counts of murder in Georgia. So if they were to be convicted on both, those sentence would be what's called merged. It's called the merger doctrine, meaning that the sentences would be one and the same. It wouldn't be two life sentences. It would be one life sentence. Now, this is really important. So what are the penalties? And we just talked about it. So the, the sentence for felony murder and malice murder are the same. So the minimum penalty is life in prison. And this is all up to the judge. So this is a really important piece. The jury is charged and instructed that they are not to consider penalty when they make a determination about guilt. They're only supposed to look at what came out in the courtroom, the evidence that came out in the courtroom and apply the law. They're not supposed to say, oh, geez, well, these people don't deserve X sentence or Y sentence. That penalty 
does not come up in the course of the trial. So even though these are lifetime sentences, the jury is not supposed to take that into consideration. And there's no evidence presented about that. Nobody tells them that in the court. So they're not supposed to take that into consideration, nor are they supposed to take sympathy for any of the victims into consideration. They are supposed to look at the evidence and then apply it to the law. And that is the the extent of their job as a jury. And that is all in the jury instructions. So the biggest question in this case that I'm getting time and time again, how can all three be charged with murder when only Travis McMichael pulled the trigger? And that's not in dispute. Travis McMichael is the person who shot Arbery, but all three defendants are charged with murder. That falls under a, the Georgia law. It's called party to a crime. And in Georgia, it is a very, very broad standard. So even if you're, you don't pull the trigger, if you're a part of the crime, you aid and abet an any way, a person who commits a homicide, you can be charged with the same crimes as the person who pulled the trigger. Let me give you the law school crim law 101 example of that. You're a part of a group. You decide you want to rob a bank. You're the getaway driver. You don't even know that the other two that are going into the bank have guns. You didn't even know. They go in, they attempt the robbery. In the course of the robbery, the teller is shot. You're still charged with murder, even though you're the getaway driver, even though you didn't know they had guns. So that is the premise behind these charges. Uh, it's called in other states, it's called conspiracy, aider and a better. It depends on the state that you're in. In Georgia, they have a broad party to crime law. So with respect to the McMichaels, it would be very, very difficult to separate them for the purposes of a party to a crime law and whether or not they um, could be equally culpable from a criminal perspective for the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, even though only one pulled the trigger. They both got into the car. They both engaged in the chase. Uh, they both brought guns with them. So they're really, their argument is very much one and the same. They're very focused on establishing a lawful citizen's arrest and then a self-defense argument, which would be just which would justify their actions under Georgia law. That's their case. Roddy Bryan, he's got a very different case. And he, in fact, has what's called lesser included offenses that the jury could ultimately decide. So he's charged with all of these very high level felonies. But the judge left an the judge allowed an instruction for the jurors which says that he could be charged with lesser crimes. And all of those lesser crimes would be misdemeanors. So they would not serve as the basis for a felony murder charge. So the, the defense had a victory there because the jury has an out that if they don't believe Roddy Bryan is equally culpable, did not have that common criminal intent, did not aid and abet in the death of Ahmaud Arbery, they could convict Roddy Bryan of a lower level crime. So his case, a little bit different, his lawyer making a, an, an argument that he is more of a witness, less of a participant, that he taped the whole, uh, he taped the interaction between the McMichaels and Ahmaud Arbery. He was very cooperative with police. He was not some criminal mastermind who came in to this and, and was a participant of the crime. In fact, he didn't even know that anybody had a gun. So that's his argument, trying to separate him. He wants to be a million miles away from the McMichaels. 
Whether or not he's successful, only time will tell. But the lesser included charges, that is a victory for the defense in this case that the jury can consider them. So that is where we stand here today. Uh, This case, everybody is watching as we wait for a verdict to come down again. It looked like it was imminent last night. We all got it wrong. It was not imminent. The jury is, in fact, now just reviewed very critical evidence, which was the video taped by Roddy Bryant showing the interaction between Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael, and Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, They also listened to a 911 call. What that means, only time will tell. Keeping an eye on this case all day in Verdict Watch. When the verdict comes down, we'll pop back on to discuss it. Thank you so much for listening.